0: And if you had the opportunity to watch Billy Graham's funeral on Friday where 2,500 people were gathered under this huge tent, uh, you experienced joy. Joy in the culmination of a life well lived, but joy as it relates to the future that we have. And uh, a little bit of a who's who's list that was gathered at the funeral, but uh, here are some reflections if you didn't get a chance to watch that funeral from Billy Graham this Friday. Just a few days ago, my father followed Jesus all the way to heaven. Most of his life was spent traveling the world, but the last week he embarked on the journey he had been looking forward to all of his life, the journey from earth to heaven.
1: There was a little boy here in Charlotte milking cows every morning and every afternoon, and he had no idea that there was a little girl praying for him in China. She was about 13 when she wrote this little poem. And oh God, let his face have character and a ruggedness of soul and let his whole life show, dear God, a singleness of goal. The Lord answered every single one of those prayers at mother and many more. I have learned this week, as never before, that everybody has a Billy Graham story. But I have my own Billy Graham story. Being stubborn, willful, and sinful. I married a man on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? And let me tell you, You women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father, you really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. (laughs) I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, Welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame. There was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. I know what he would want me to say today is heaven is coming again and would like to take you also. I believe from heaven's perspective that my father's death is as significant as his life. And I believe God is saying, wake up, church. Wake up, world. Wake up, Anne! Jesus is coming.
0: He was faithful. He was available. And he was teachable. May we all be that way. I can only imagine what it was like for my father to step into heaven. And there was the Lord Jesus Christ to say, well done good and faithful servant not because it was Billy Graham it's just another child of God has come home another child of God not because I've worked my way up and not because I'm good or not because I've preached to great crowds of people I am saved because Christ took my sins on that cross you see I'm prepared to die In fact, I'm looking forward to it. And when you're prepared to die, you're also prepared to live. And when I come to the gate of heaven, and if they have a password, I'm going to say only to the cross I cling. I have no other hope of heaven except by his cross. Pilgrim's Graham's funeral took place at his library. The barn was built resembling the barn of his youth. They physically moved the home from the hillside to the place where the library is. And that served as the backdrop. The interesting thing about the backdrop of the barn is the cross. It was specifically... Designed that way, if you will, by Billy. He wanted people to enter through the foot of the cross. And that message, he preached over seven, eight decades. That the only way to Jesus is through the foot of the cross. And when you come to the foot of the cross, you lay down your life. Isn't it interesting that someone who has all those accolades would still say, as it did on the music video, and you heard him say it there in that video, that when he would stand before God on the final day, he would just acknowledge, I am a sinner. Not that I'm a preacher, or not that I've spilled stadiums and spoken 185 countries around the world. For you, Jesus, he would just simply come in humility and say, I'm a sinner, and the password would be, to the cross I cling. The passage we look at today in Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul. And what we find in this passage today is the exact same thing that Billy Graham was declaring 2,000 years later. In Philippians, Paul is exhorting Christians in the city of Philippi, across the sea from where he was at in Rome, prison in Rome, That they needed to not become corrupted, if you will, not by just the things of the world, but by the things of religion. And that their hope needed to be in Christ Himself, not in all the other things. You know, it's just sort of good to come together. We know, we do this once every seven days, right? And sometimes I think to myself, well, what do I have to offer people today? I don't know what your life's been like this week. Highs, lows. Crying, dancing. But I do know that every week we come together. Every seven days we need to recalibrate our life. Because we get pulled in different directions by the world and we get pulled in different directions by religion. And we need to center ourselves back on what we centered on around the table this morning. And that is Christ and His work for us. And to understand as Paul was exhorting in this passage we're going to look at today that their surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus far supersedes, exceeds anything, anything that we've encountered this week or we felt that we have built this week or accomplished this week. And we come to worship in purity and wholeness around the foot of the cross. If I had, I could maybe build one here. We could build a cross and enter through the foot of the cross. Because that's how we come to Jesus. I want you to turn in your scriptures to Philippians 3. Philippians 3 starts out with this theme. We said it's 19 times it occurs. The word rejoice, the word gladness, the word joy. 19 times in this very short epistle, this letter that Paul writes to the Philippians. And here again, at the beginning of chapter 3, and you think you're sort of halfway through, but he says this. He says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Well, I want you to know that he's not not done yet with his letter, even though he says, finally, brothers. It's sort of like pastors sometimes. (laughs) But finally, he has circled it up. He wants to center on this truth. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. The same things he's spoken to them before, same things he's sort of alluded to already in this letter. He tells them to come back and get plumb line, get centered at the foot of the cross of who Christ is and all that he's done for you. But then it's interesting what happens is he has this little upbeat tone right here in the middle of this letter. Hey, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. And then all of a sudden, he like, turns a little vicious or at least straightforward he puts an edge on himself have you read this before watch out for these dogs Ooh, what's the matter paul watch out for those dogs those men who do evil those mutilators of the flesh for it is we who are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of god who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. What is going on? Did something like really bother him that he just had to get out? Yep. Yep. He was bothered by perceived Judaizers. And what Judaizers were are people who came out of the Jewish tradition and faith As wholesome and good as it was, I mean, it's part of our Old Testament, and God's blessed the Jews. But Judaism, the Judaizers moved into a works righteousness. In other words, they moved into the camp that said, your standing with God is determined by what you do and do not do. And Judaizers said, okay, you can be a Christian, You can be a Christ follower, but you have to first do everything that the Jews are supposed to do, that make them good Jews. And one of those key things is if you were a Jew, you were circumcised. All right? Circumcision, cutting the foreskin of the male, and you needed to be circumcised in order to be a good Jew. And so he gets sort of upset with them. It wasn't just circumcision. It was other works that they were front-loading the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with, and saying, hey, all right, we hear you. We hear you. Jesus is maybe the Messiah, that kind of thing. But before you get all excited about Jesus as Messiah, please do not run away from your old-time religion of Judaism. And Paul was quite upset about that. He had seen it happen in some other churches. He wasn't going to allow it to happen in Philippi. And so he gets rather indignant and he tells them, Watch out for the dogs, the people who are evil, those mutilators of flesh. Those are pretty, those three things are pretty strong elements right there, aren't they? Now, let me ask you on your faith journey, your understanding of God, and wasn't Billy Graham's one daughter there who had gone through tragedy and relationship and broken marriage? Wasn't that a beautiful example? If you watched the, the funeral, um, you heard the Fuller story. And by the way, you can watch that whole funeral online. Uh, and I think even tonight there's a special on Fox about tributing to um, Billy Graham's life you wouldn't want to miss. But she said as she rounded the bend going up the North Carolina hill. To the house. There her father, Billy Graham, was waiting on her. Just like the prodigal son story in scripture, right? And with outstretched arms, with no shame, no guilt, just simply said, Welcome home. Welcome home. And as she said, it wasn't that her dad was God, but her dad represented God's love to her. You know in your spirit the God who needs to be. Maybe you were taught that God was a, a mean judge, and he would be, you know, standing at the top of the hill, not with a club, but maybe with a shotgun in Carolina. No. outstretched arms. and you're like, well, that's the kind of God I would want. Well, that's the kind of God that exists, the God who loves. Yes, is He a just God? Is He a holy God? Does He have to deal righteously with the sin of the world and the sin of your life? Yes, but that's what He did at the foot of the cross. And the God that you're seeking on your journey is a God of love who forgives and transforms and changes, not by you getting your act together. And We mentioned it last week, every crusade closed with the song, Just as I am, you come just as you are without one plea to accept Him into your life as savior and lord but on your journey of discovering god's love have you had some dogs step in the way that tried to tell you that you're not worth it there's something you've done in your past there's something you're not doing in your present that you need to get your act together you got to do those things otherwise your acceptance to god is not going to be good He's not going to be standing at some top of the hill as you wind up the road in your car and, and you will receive his embrace. You're going to see, receive condemnation because you're not measuring up by doing everything that's needed. Friends, today we have that same struggle. It's not Judaizers. It's called legalizers to me and people that are legalistic. We are saved by grace through faith, it says of Scripture, and this is the message of salvation. And whether it's men, women, young, old, they can do evil to you. Paul describes them as a mutilators of the flesh. Putting all these fleshy requirements on people's lives. And he wants to warn you and I, don't fall prey to such thinking. Don't fall prey to such thinking. Paul. Paul says, I put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. And then he goes off on a list. A list. Have you seen this list before? If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He did the one upmanship, I call it. I'm better than you. I've done more than you. I've been there. I've excelled. And I am at the pinnacle. You are not is what Paul's saying. I have more circumcised on the eighth day the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law a Pharisee, in as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He in essence said he had the right ritual, the right race the right family, the right religion, the right occupation, the right zeal, and the right morality. Paul says, I've been there, I've done that. Why? Paul was of the Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee. He was at the pinnacle of all the religious people doing what he needed to do according to the law. And he had every right to be able to stand before others and point his finger. And that's what he was doing. And when Christianity emerged, if you will. It wasn't called that then, but when Jesus Christ came on the scene and he started preaching this salvation through faith and grace and his love, and then he went to the cross and died and was raised from the grave, Paul was persecuting Christians who were following Jesus because he thought Jesus was a false Messiah. And do you remember what happened? He was on his way from Jerusalem to the city of Damascus, and on his way to Damascus, Jesus met him, blinding him, and he fell to his feet. And he said, Lord, what would you have of me? And Jesus said, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul. His name was changed later. Why do you persecute me? Jesus confronted Paul, and something dramatically changed in his life at that point of conversion. And he knew it wasn't everything he had stacked up that was going to earn his favor with God, earn his entrance into God's heaven. And so he throws out all these things. I had everything right going for me. You didn't. I did. And then he says this. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but the righteousness that is from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like Him in death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And... All of you who are mature should have such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will reveal to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and the glory, their glory is in their shame. Their minds are on earthly things, but we have a citizenship in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to place everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be glorified and they will be transformed into the glorious. Amen. You see, I love this part. It's really one of my favorite passages. That's why I sort of tried to memorize it early on in my life. And I'm like, here's Paul. He says, what's going on? You're letting those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh, try to front load everything God's doing in your life by saying, oh, you haven't done this, haven't done this, haven't done this. And you're terrible. You're terrible. You're not good. I did all those things, Paul says. And then he lights up. He lights up and he says, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The surpassing greatness. That's your gift today if you're a follower of Jesus. But If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to lay aside all those things at the foot of the cross. And you need to receive him into your life. For those of us who have received him into our life, you know what happens after your conversion? You get caught being eaten by the same dogs. Oh, you say, I'm saved by grace through faith. But then you begin living your life according to works. As if you measure up or not. And you start determining if you're a good Christian or bad Christian by if you've checked everything off the list or not. And so you fall into the same Judaizer trap that Paul was speaking against. He says, no, stop. He says, all that you do, all that I did. He says, I consider them rubbish. You know what the word rubbish means? A dung heap. It's a bunch of crap. Excuse my language. That's what Paul says. Everything that he accomplished, all those accolades that he just enumerated, he says, it's all rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. What does he mean? He means that this challenge in our life, this challenge in our life to be able to, to try to make everything just perfect can eat us up. And we need to cling to the cross of Christ and we need to live in light of what he has done and not in light of what we do or do not do. And you need to hang with me. Don't tune out because he's not saying that we don't pursue, right? But he says baseline every day through the foot of the cross but what Jesus has done not by what you do or do not do. And so... You need to understand something about Paul. He had to work on this himself. You see, when Paul had his Damascus Road experience, it just didn't radically change his life. We think of that a lot of times. In fact, we think of that true in our own life, that when we come to a place of conversion, that we just automatically change. Everything changes. Well, some perspectives change, and and we get the Holy Spirit within us who starts to teach us those side things, but not everything changes right at the moment of conversion. Here's a picture of the Mediterranean Sea area, and a few cities identified there. Jerusalem on the lower right, that's where Paul was as a Pharisee, right? He was he was a, a king of the hill. And so he was on his way to Damascus, which is just north of that, to, to persecute the Christians and to find out who was following this Messiah and try to keep the, the Jewish faith pure. And God met him on his way to Damascus. Well, what happened in Damascus? It says that he was a he was there for a period of time, but he began to preach. He began to preach about Jesus. And guess what happened? They were skeptical of him. They were fearful of him. This is the guy that persecuted people. And so they were out to kill him. The very religious elite people he is supposedly a part of set out to kill him. And in Damascus, you can read about it in Acts 9, they had to lower him in a basket over the wall so he could escape death. Well, that's a radical turnaround. Where's all my friends? He heads back to Jerusalem. He thinks that he's going to find favor there with the Christians maybe or with the other apostles and those kinds of things. But guess what? They were fearful of him and they sort of stepped back and rejected him. And then he turned to his old Jewish friends and they sort of rejected him. You're like, come on. I had this encounter with Jesus. This is a new beginning in life. And he has all this opposition to him. He goes to the temple one day and he's praying to God there. And guess what God tells him to do? He tells him to go home. So Paul goes home. He he sets out. Barnabas was actually for him and Barnabas tried to stick up for him. But he goes to the coastline in Jerusalem and, and he sails up to Tarsus because Tarsus was his hometown. In Galatia there, which is modern day Turkey. And so he camped in Tarsus. Do you know how long it said that he probably was in Tarsus? Five to seven years. We don't hear anything about Paul in Tarsus. Five to seven years after his conversion. No accolades, no big time messages, no letters that are recorded. What do you think God was doing with Paul when he was in tarsus he was molding him he was remaking him he was helping him see the light and that's where he became passionate he ended up then uh, barnabas ended up taking him to antioch antioch was where the first the people were first named christians and from there he began doing his travels in in the known world at that time to the Gentiles, not the Jewish people because God said that was your mission. And so he went to other places like Colossae and Ephesus and, and Philippi, which is where our letter's from. He ends up in prison, most likely in Rome. And so he's writing this prison letter. And so his ministry takes off. But friends, five to seven years in Tarsus. And what was he learning in Tarsus? He was learning. What the passage said. He was learning this. That to launch a new basis for living. You need to reckon moment by moment upon this truth. That nothing ever done by myself. Can ever add or take away. From what Jesus Christ. Can be. In me. I consider. All things to be rubbish. He said. That I may be found. In Christ. What does it mean to be found in Christ? Well, let's say, for instance, this open Bible is the life of Jesus. And this card is your life, or it was Paul's life. If I place the card in the Scriptures, in the life of Jesus, and I close it up, that's what it means to be found in Christ. Everything that Christ is, in all of His beauty, all of His holiness, you are now found in Him. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, Scripture says. And Paul had this enlightenment that it wasn't about what I do or what I do not do or or maybe on the other side of the fence and you weren't at the top of the, the religious pile. I mean, you were at the top of the sinner pile. You name the sins, you've done them. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter, Paul says... My righteousness was rubbish or as filthy rags into the place as it was for anything else. It's all short of the glory of God. Unless you are found in Christ, you have no hope. So to launch a new basis for living, this is the simple, straightforward point for today. You need to reckon moment by moment on this truth. Nothing ever done by myself can ever add or take away from what Jesus Christ can be in me. How many of you, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but you say you're pretty good about beating yourself up. Yep. We all are. It's that not only a sinful nature bent in us, all right, from our past, but it's the accusations of the adversary, the devil himself, and sometimes he whispers it through other people that are around us. You've been told this week that maybe you're no good or that you fall short and you've taken that into your mind and you said, that's me, I guess. I guess I am. I got the big L on my forehead. I'm a loser. No, you're not. Now, some people don't walk around with a big L on their forehead. I think they walk around with a big A, arrogant. Paul had the A. He didn't think he was a loser, but he was arrogant. and Paul had to be shown by God through His restudy of the Word and looking at the Old Testament and looking at the New Covenant. Five to seven years in Tarsus, God had to rewrite on His heart the truth by which He lights up in the middle part of Philippians. Watch out for the dogs. But whatever was to my prophet, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. I want to know Christ. I mean, He's lit up and he wants to make sure the people that are in the body of that church in Philippi do not fall prey to the judaizers because they were gentiles. And so when the judaizers sort of showed up, they said, "Okay, I guess we'll let Jesus save the people that are non-Jewish too, but you got to become like us. You got to come to our church, you got to dress like us, you got to act like us." All right? You got to be able to talk like us. You ever been in those environments? They're not accepting one of the joys of this church, I look across a room like this, there's all walks of life in this room. And there can even be a more diversified look to this room as we continue to uphold the gospel of God's grace and help people be found in Christ. Because it's not about checking off a list. It's not about fitting into some mold. It's about being found in Christ at the foot of the cross. So Paul goes on and he Exhorts them in this way. It's a summary of the verse before. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness in knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness my own. Gain Christ and found in Him. In Him. Christ is in you but you are in Him. He says, I want to know Christ then. If Christ is in me and I am in Christ, then I want to know Him. I want to pursue it hot. I want Him to be known by me. Remember when you fell in love? Your whole life was reordered as to how you could be with that person and get to know that person. Has your life been reordered to know Jesus in that way? Or are you still pursuing As a priority. The things of the world. Or the things even of a religious world. He says. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power. Of his resurrection. And. Guess what happens? Just not the good stuff, the power of the resurrection. The fellowship is sharing in sufferings because when you go through suffering, whether it's accusation from others, physical uh, brokenness, whatever it may be, you identify with the sufferings of Christ and you can get to know Christ even through suffering in life. Becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. This was his passionate pursuit. Just asking you today. Is your identity found in Christ? In Christ alone. The surpassing greatness. I trust it is a yes. But if it is a yes. Then I believe. Not that you're turning towards works. To gain any standing with God. That you would have a passionate pursuit. To know Jesus more. If I opened up your smartphone, and looked at your calendar this week? Would it reflect your schedule? Would it reflect the desire to know Christ and the power of His resurrection? Or would it reflect all other kinds of agendas? Sometimes very good, sometimes even God-ordained. But foremost, a passion to know Christ. And then I think it's interesting, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this. God really did break him, didn't He? broken good time. Not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. We're going to pick it up there next week. Do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When we look at the life of Billy Graham. He won the prize. Not because of what he did. But because of who Christ was in him. And it's the hope of all of our life. If your week has been one filled with challenges If your week has been one filled with discouragement, maybe even coming from others. If your week has been filled with, I think I'm doing pretty good. All of it needs to be recalibrated. Paul did it. He launched a new basis for living. To reckon moment by moment upon the truth that nothing ever done by myself can ever add or take away from what Jesus Christ can be in me, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. For homework this week, you could sit down on a sheet of paper and write everything you think has gained you great standing with God. Education, experience, times you've witnessed, make a list of everything And then ask yourself, how much of my life, my sense of self-worth and my purpose is based upon what I have accomplished in my past or present? And it's not saying that's bad. Many of you have accomplished great things and are. But when it comes to Christ, it's rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We're all on the same plane. We are all sinners. I don't know if Billy Graham actually did that when he saw Jesus a week and a half ago. But I believe it's what we all need to be ready for. And that is to simply say, Oh Jesus, I'm a sinner. I cling to your cross. Worship team's going to come. Let me close in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you. That you are a great and mighty God. And that you are able to reach down and save the darkest soul and the most arrogant soul. Lord Jesus, I pray that in this room, if no one knows you, but has been trying to work their way to you, may they realize afresh and anew this morning. If maybe never before. That there is no way of earning a standing with you. But may they just simply come to the cross and cling to you. Laying down all their good deeds, their good works, laying down their sin. And may they cling to you as their Savior in the Lord. And Lord, for each of us who are on that journey of knowing you, may we become impassioned and thrilled of knowing you more. The power of your resurrection, the fellowship of sharing your sufferings, becoming like you in death, and so somehow, someday, that we will attain attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that that's an iffy thing, but knowing that that's our destiny as we live out you living in us. So, Lord, if we are on that pathway today, and we've begun to evaluate our life based upon what we have or have not done, I pray, Lord, that it would be laid down and people would just look to you and embrace who you are as the great and almighty God. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your ongoing work of transformation that you're doing in our life, taking our lowly bodies and transforming them to be like your glorious
1: body. Amen and amen. Usher is going to come as we sing.
0: The-